Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter, chapter 4, and I tell you what, uh, in the last week or two, I've had several people come up and say, Oh, Brother Jason, I am so thankful for the scripture and the notes that are up on the screens, and it really helps me uh, to follow along. Sometimes it's hard for me to see my Bible and all these things. And so what I want you to know is that there's something in today's message that Satan didn't want you to hear, and he didn't want you to have the scripture to follow along with. But thank God that we have such a beautiful scene that can resonate on our screens behind us. But you'll have to open your own Bibles this week to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 7 through through 11. And the title of this morning's message is Living as a Christian in this age. Living as a Christian in this age. And I almost titled this message Living as a Christian at the End of Times. And that would be a fairly appropriate title. It would certainly turn a lot of heads when it hit the podcast. I'm going to give a little plug for our technology team. For those of you that would like to listen to the messages throughout the week, if you have access to a podcast player, all you have to do is search Rocky Valley Baptist Church, Jason Mall, or any of the above, and you can listen to the messages throughout the week. You can share those on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or any other social media that may be at Twitter. I'm sorry. That may be out there. You can send out a tweet that says, we love this message.com or something like that. And you can put that out there and share those. But if, if I put on the podcast title, Living as a Christian in the End of Times, it would be a more popular title. People would, would look to it more often. It seems that everyone is looking to get on board with the When Jesus is Coming Back movement. They're, they're trying to get on that train. And let me just tell you that people have been garnering attention by predicting the date of the return of the Messiah since the Messiah went to heaven. Ever since the disciples looked up and said, there went Jesus, ever since the that time people have been saying when's he coming back betty's coming back next week betty's coming back tomorrow i think he's coming back in 1853 because i translated a prophecy in the book of daniel and i added the days to the years i minus the moments plus the seconds and i determined that in 1853 he's coming back and when it didn't happen they called that the great disappointment for that particular religious movement it was a disappointment because they said he was coming back on this day and he didn't come back on this day. I remember at the turn of this very past century, everybody said the computers were going to reset. The world was going to come to an end. That was going to be the end of all days because computers didn't have the ability to roll over to 2000 from 1999. Apparently as smart as computers are, they can't add one to 1999 and figure out that it's 2000. And they said Jesus must be coming back. And people went and bought water because apparently if the end of times is coming, you need a cellar full of water. I guess. But Matthew 24, 36 says, no man know the hour. We don't, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. He may very well make his way back to this earth before we finish this very message. And he may very well tarry long enough for our children to preach their own messages. I don't know. But I think we can all agree that we are living in the age that would be described the end of times. Uh, we got preachers on TV telling people all kinds of junk and guiding them down a road 
with a false gospel. We got men wanting to use ladies' restrooms. We got ladies wanting to use men's restrooms. We've got people that have just, they just skipped right over homosexual marriage. We, we passed that one into law and people said, well, if we can do that, I'd like to marry a roller coaster. Because I love a roller coaster. How do you marry a roller coaster? I'm just curious. At Lake Winnipesoka, there's an old white roller coaster that's near and dear to my heart because I've probably ridden it 187 million times in my life. But you know, it ain't never gave me a kiss on the cheek, not one time. It never told me it loved me. It never hugged me. It never made me feel good on a bad day. It never did anything for me. I don't know why you would want to marry a roller coaster, but people want to marry inanimate objects because they love them. We have enough hate in this world. We have police officers that have to fear for going out to protect our country, to protect our citizens because people hate them so bad that they may just, just kill them in cold blood, like they have to preemptively strike before they strike back. Likewise, we have police officers that have abused their authority. We have pastors that abuse their authority. We have so much hate. The Democrats hate the Republicans. They all hate the liberals. Everybody just hates each other. Let me tell you something, church. If the church doesn't get the message from this morning and realize that we're in the end of days and that we need a revival in this land, if we don't get on board with that message, then our kids, our kids won't be able to come to a building like this to worship a Savior. Our kids won't be able to freely worship because the hatred is going to take over. And it's not up to the world to fix itself. It's up to the church to have a revival. It's up to us to have a revival here in the end of days. The world's not going to have a revival without us. I promise you that. The world has never had a revival. The church has impacted the world by having a revival. All throughout history, all the way back to the book of Acts, it was the church that got on their knees that got in their Bibles, that got in the Word of God, that got together, big word there, they got together, and they impacted the world around us. So let us stand as we honor the reading of what we truly believe no less than the inspired and errant and infallible words of our holy God from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumble. And each one has received a gift and minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God. God we ask that you would do what only you can do. And that is set loose among your people this morning Lord Jesus. God as we gather here in the end of days. Let us turn directly to your face. Because you are worthy of our worship Lord. You're worthy of our song, you're worthy of our study, you're worthy of our prayer, Lord Jesus. And only you, only you can save us. 
God, let us, let, let us this morning turn to your face, Jesus. And it's in your precious, precious name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I tricked y'all. There was an amen at the end of the scripture. And then I prayed and said amen again. Some of you went, amen. Oh, wait, he's praying. I, prophetically, I predicted last night that that would happen, and it came true. You can buy my book that says, Prophetically Speaking, on the End of Days, 1999 on Amazon. First thing we need to recognize from, I'm just kidding, don't go to Amazon and look for Prophetically Speaking, Brother Jason Ball. It's not there. I haven't written it yet. First thing we need to recognize from our text is that there is a date we need to remember. There's a date that we need to remember. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. We need to remember, church, that we're living in the last days. We, we are living in the last days. Well, what is the last days, brother? What, what's this end of all things that is at hand? What is the end of all things that Peter is writing about here? Well, I believe that the end of, the end of days, the end age, the last days, I believe that refers to the time that began when Jesus Christ entered into this world in Bethlehem. When Jesus Christ was born of the virgin birth and he was laid in a manger and he came to us as a babe, as, as God the Son stepped out of, of heaven and put on flesh and came to us. I believe that was the beginning of the last days. I believe that this age ends when Jesus Christ comes back again. I believe that this age ends when Gabriel sounds his horn. And Jesus comes back. Now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, when that horn sounds, don't come knock on the office door, I'm not going to be here. And it's going to be an extended vacation. 1 Peter 1 and 20 says, Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was manifested in the last times for you. In the last times, we see that Jesus, though he, was, though he was foreordained, though he was before the beginning of time, he was set apart for the last days for us. So the time that he came to earth. Hebrews 1-2 says that in the last days, God spoke to us through his son. It, it, referring to Jesus' time on earth. In the last days. So the age of the end began when Jesus came to this earth. Hebrews 9-26 says this of Jesus says that he has suffered since the foundation of the world. He was there in the beginning. Even though he was there at the very beginning, the end of days began when he put away sin upon himself in his time here on this earth. We see from Scripture that God began to call the end of days the time when Jesus appeared to take on our sin debt, when he appeared as a babe. And it's not going to conclude till he comes back. But Brother Jason, you said we need to remember there's a time coming. You said we're in the last days. You said that the time is near. And now you turn around and tell me that in all of eternity back the past 2,000 years, people have been calling it the end of days. That doesn't hardly seem like the time is at hand. We live in a day-to-day -day where we get Emails. Anybody get these emails? Or am I the only one? Get these emails that say, Big sale on XYZ ends Thursday. And it's Wednesday when you get the email and they're making you decide on Wednesday if you're going to 
make that purchase, right? Oh, I got to buy it. It's going to be 13 cents higher tomorrow than it is today. I need to make sure I get it purchased. Right? We live in a time where we look at the time as in, if I tell you that it's urgent, the time is at hand, you think I'm talking about something that's going to happen before the end of the week. You think I'm talking about something that may very well happen before the end of the day, before the end of the month, before the end of the... It may happen before I get done talking. But when we're talking about the end of days, I'm saying we're looking at a time, a date that we need to remember that there is a date that's been set when Jesus is going to step out and come back on a cloud to call his children. And you tell me the time is at hand, but you also tell me that when Peter wrote this book, people had been looking for 30 years. And now it's been 2,000 years, Brother Jason. And I should remember that the date is at hand? Yes. You should remember that the time is at hand. Because you see, Peter, under the divine inspiration of a holy God, wrote to us about this very thought process. In 2 Peter 3 and 4, if you want to write that down and look at it later, in 2 Peter 3 and 4 he says, In the end of days, so in the age after Jesus' birth, in the end of days there will be scoffers. There will be those who literally make fun of those who say that Jesus is coming soon. There will be those who who look back and say, where is this promise that you promised? Where is this thing you said was going to happen? You said I should change the way I live and follow this Savior because he's coming again, but I haven't seen him. It's been 30 years and everything's the same as it was in my father's time. Nothing has changed. But then in 2 Peter 3.8, he says, to the scoffers you'll say, don't disregard... Don't be ignorant to the fact that with God, with God, a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. He says, you need to remember that, that in the time of the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So, so here's what I'm here to tell you. Uh, on God's timeline, Jesus ain't been home but about two days. Right? He just got home the other day. Uh, on the timeline of our Lord, he says, y'all think, y'all think it's been a while? I seem to remember that just yesterday he was being nailed to a tree on Calvary's Hill. My son just got home. You want me to send him back? He just, he just got home. You, you say, I'm crazy that the time's not at hand. I say, it's only been a day or two. Since Jesus was here among us in the Lord's time, can I just tell you whose time that we truly live on? It's not our time. We truly live on the time of the Lord. And in the time of the Lord, it's just been a moment since Jesus walked and he's coming back in another moment. So we need to remember there's a date coming. But but what do we need to do in light of the fact that there's a date we should remember? Well, we need to pray. It goes on and says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We need to pray, but, but not just pray. It, it puts something else. It prefaces that prayer just a little bit, doesn't it? The New King James says serious, but the word for serious, the King James, I believe, says sober-minded. But that word for serious literally doesn't mean serious or sober-minded. It just means sober, clear. So it, it says we should pray with a sober or clear mind. We should, because the end is near, we should be watchful in our serious, clear, best effort focused prayers on God. And if you read this quickly and you think of sober in the same context that we do, you might be inclined in your holy sanctimonious pew that you sit in to say, well, if I'm not a drinker 
And I'm not into mind-altering substances of some kind. I don't do drugs. I don't do this. I don't do that. So apparently, I just need to pray as I always pray because I'm always sober because I don't do anything to alter my mind. But wait, right? Hang on. It doesn't say sober in the context we use it. We think of sober, all we think of is people that, that drink too much whiskey or, or do too many drugs or take too many pills or whatever we want to think. But he says with a clear mind, with an absolutely focused mind. And, and it really has a more applicable meaning to all of us when we think of it that same way. Um, let, let me illustrate it to you this way. Those of you that don't know, I live next door to the church. That means my morning commute is riddled with traffic every morning. Why, just last week, there was a cow got out and had my driveway blocked, and I had to walk to work. I know, pray for me. So I walk through the parking lot to work every morning. I walk through. There's a set of uh, stepping stones in the grass. I carefully step on those. I walk through the parking lot. I come up the front steps, and I walk in that door that is the front but is behind all of you for some reason because church has never figured that out. The front door. I walk through that front door. My office is through this door and to the left at the end of the hallway. So I walk in, and I go there. Now, between there and there is here, right? This is where I pray, and that's where I work. This is where I spend time with God. That's where I write. This is where I focus on what God would have me to do, and, and that's where I'm supposed to go do it, right? But can I just tell you that walking in that door, you know what immediately happens when I come through those doors? Actually, it happens about the time I hit those stepping stones. My desk starts hollering to me as loud as it can. You got to write those cards, Brother Jason. You didn't write the visitor's cards last week. You missed a week, so you're behind. You got to write them. It's Monday. You got to get them written. You, you need to, to make out the, the committee meeting report. You need to prepare for the deacons meeting. Brother Jason, you got you to get this. To, you got to make that phone call that you told that lady you were going to make on Saturday. If you don't make it this morning, you're going to forget you got to get the pastor's corner sent to Miss Cindy because it's Thursday and she's got to have it by 12. And you always forget and she's got to text you. So remember this morning, Brother Jason, get it done. I walk right by the praying place. And I go right to the productivity place. And for some reason, when I get in there, my productivity is not what it would have been if I just would have stopped at the praying place. Because there ain't nothing I can do back there that means anything if I didn't do my work right here first. There ain't nothing happens back there if it ain't ordained by what happens right here first. There's no reason that uh, I should spend way more time right here and way less time back there. And what happens back there and what happens up here on Sunday is far superior to when I spend more time back there and less time out here. That's my solemn promise to you. I've lived it in this past year and a half. I've walked back there too many days in a row and opened up a Bible that I'm supposed to be able to preach to you on Sunday and it looks like it's written in pig Latin because I didn't spend enough time praying to let God tell me where I needed to be and what I needed to be doing. That's my life. That's your pastor. That's Brother Jason. That's me. 
But what about you? This scripture is very much applicable to you too. You see, oftentimes we don't spend our time in prayer because the end of days is at near. It says we need to be praying with a more clear focus than we've ever prayed before because the time is drawing nigh when Jesus is coming back. So we need to bathe every breath in prayer. You realize that you shouldn't put your shoes on without it being ordained by God. That's silly, Brother Jason. I don't know. I've seen some of your shoe selections. You should have prayed longer. Josh Hearn got married in skater shoes. My goodness. I love you, brother. Still, even though you did that. My productivity, my busyness, my life, my family, my kids, you guys, so many things. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting back there and the end of days is at near and I need to be praying that I could preach with more unction than I've ever preached with in my life because the end of times is at near and I'm drunk on productivity. Nobody take a clip out of the podcast that stops with I'm drunk. Make sure you finish that. I'm drunk on productivity. Literally all the productivity is just pouring down on me. And the next thing you know, I'm just staggering underneath it. And I can't even pray with a clear head because I'm so busy. Now we put a three-piece suit on it and we hide it in a fancy office somewhere. But you do the same thing. You find yourself not focused on your time with God because you're too busy and you're not with a clear mind. There's a date. We got to remember. We got to remember that Jesus is coming soon. We can't be lacking clarity. But there's also a desire that we must recognize. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable with one another without grumbling. Peter says essentially at the end of the days, we've got to guard our living as a community with one another. I believe that Peter, as he writes this, was divinely inspired and he understood that as the time drew nearer for Jesus to come back, it was going to get harder and harder and harder and harder for us to live a community-type lifestyle that the early church lived where we just intermingled with one another and loved one another and cared about it. And he says, what's one thing we can do to protect it? He says, we can be hospitable without grumbling. We can be hospitable without... The the word hospitable means literally being warm and welcoming to your guests and to strangers. In other words, I'm going to let you guys in on a, a fancy Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew... English term that means the same thing in all of those languages. Be nice. We can show love in the end of days by being nice. I know that's going to blow some of your minds. Write it down. Study it later. Be nice. Shouldn't be a very difficult task for a blood-bought child of the redeeming God, should it? If you know that your sins are forgiven and you've been redeemed, being nice to other people is not something that should be a difficult task, is it? You say, well, Brother Jason, we got that. Be nice. We understand. Move on. The buffet at Peking fills up. If you'll shut up quicker, we can get there. We got it. Be nice. Move on. Next point. Do you? Do you have it? I mean, look at your... Think about your interactions. Think about your interactions with the people in this room. 
How often do you just be nice? Think about your interactions with the person you walked by at the gas station this morning. Just be nice. Why? Because the end of days is at near and people need to see the love of Jesus displayed in the people of Jesus. And one of the ways that we'll display the love of Jesus and the people of Jesus is that we'll be nice to each other. I said at the beginning that we live in a world full of hatred. Not one person said, you're wrong, preacher. We live in a world where hate and hate and hate and hate and hate and hate and hate. So guess what? If you don't hate, you look different. You're countercultural. When you're nice, it's something people aren't used to. You want to turn heads? Be nice. Be hospitable. That's a fancy word for be nice. When someone walks by you, they should not have to see your Rocky Valley Baptist Church t-shirt to understand that you're a believer. You should understand it by the love that you're showing to people you come in contact with. The end is near. Show love. Because what? What's it say that love was? Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will what? Have we got it fixed? Cover a multitude of sins. The idea here is the end is drawing near. Jesus is coming soon. We're busier and busier and busier. And persecution is tougher and tougher and tougher. And so we're going to sin against each other more. It's just common sense, right? I want to ask everybody a question here. Do you sin more when you're stressed out or when you're happy? Stressed out people, raise your hand. Happy people, you sin more when you're happy, raise your hand. If you don't sin at all, raise your hand. You liar. <laughs> of course, we sin more when we're stressed out and we're busy and it's harder. And things are more difficult. And more people hate us. And more people talk about us. And more people call us crazy. More people say you're a freak because you love Jesus than they've ever said before. So it's harder to talk about Jesus. Harder to be public. Harder to love one another. Now I don't want to bend over and give this man any money. I don't want to ask him if he's okay. I don't want to carry him the full distance like they did the Good Samaritan. I don't want to do that because i got to get to work on time. I don't, I don't want to help this guy change the tire on the side of the road because i got to get to Sunday school on time and I might get my suit dirty. I might get my clothes dirty. I don't want to show the love of Christ to this person right now. I got to get to church and tell my deacon how much I love him. I can't tell this guy on the side of the street how much I love him. I got to get to church on time. If I'm late to church, they'll look at me funny. I got news for you. I've never looked at anybody funny for getting here late. I'm just glad you got here. If you bring somebody with you when you're on the way because you stopped and changed your tire and said, I did this because I love Jesus, you want to come to church, and they come to church, I'll pat you on the back, bring you up front, and I'll give you an accommodation in front of everybody. Because you were hospitable and your love covers a multitude of sins. And in the end of days, we're going to sin more against each other. It's going to happen. It's going to get easier and easier and easier to sin. So we're going to sin. And we have to be able to use our love to cover that multitude of sins. Colossians 3 and 12 says, as Christians, when you put on your Christianity, when you put on your Jesus suit. In other words... When you, when you become saved, we'll use that fancy term, you'll show mercy to one another. What's it mean to show mercy to one another? It means to forgive one another. One of the ways we'll show love in the end of times is that we, as Christians, will forgive other people. That means if we're going to be a community, 
in the end of days. And that's what we desire to be here, by the way. Anybody that doesn't know that. As a church, you desire to be a community, a lifeline for people to come in and join your community, a lifeline to each other to live as a community together, to bear one another's burdens. But as we live in that community, how many people, how many people have families that never fight? Do you love your family? You mean to tell me you can love someone and you still fight with them? How many people, when you love your family and you fight with them, you refuse to ever speak to them again? Not very often. I know it happens sometimes, but not very often, right? Why? Because implicitly they're your family, so you forgive them. Some of us have forgiven our family members so much that say, well, we just look over him now. This is how he is, right? You've all got that cousin, that son. This is how he is. We'll look over it. But then we come in our church community, though. Well, Brother Jason, you don't understand what he did to me. He sat down in my seat. That, my friend, is unacceptable in today's time because my great-grandmother gave to the treasury when the seats were bought. She bought that seat. She sat in that seat, and therefore I sat in that seat. So when that visitor sat in my seat, I told him I did. I told him, you need to move. That's my seat. Brother Joe sat in my seat. And he knows it's my seat. I can look over the visitor sitting there, but Joe knows it's mine. Because his grandmother bought a pew on the other side, and he wanted me to sit over there today. Maybe it's worse. Pews are silly, right? We all laughed. Brother Jason, I can't forgive them. They said something bad about me. They made me look bad in front of other people. They slandered my name. Did they? Maybe. I don't know. God's word says, pray about it. Talk to them about it. But before you even go and talk to them, you know what you're supposed to have done? Forgiven them. Because if you haven't forgiven them before you get there, you want to know what that conversation is for? For you to spit your venom in their face and tell them how mad you are at them and tell them how they've done you wrong. He said, Brother Chasen, I went to them, I forgave them, I told them what they had done to me, I told them how they made me feel, and Brother Chasen, I'll have you know that they said that they didn't feel like they had sinned against me. And they're wrong. Maybe they are. But you know what the verse after that that says we're to show mercies to one another says? It says we're supposed to bear with one another. Show forbearance to one another. That's where that comes in play. See, he doesn't even understand he sinned against me. I said, well, bear with him. Because that's what Scripture tells you to do. Have long-suffering and patience with him. Forgive him. And then bear with him. You've heard that, right? Somebody called you to do something. He said, bear with me just a moment. That means wait just a minute. I'll get there. 
God's Word says in the end of days we're to love one another. One of the ways we love one another is being kind to one another and showing mercies to one another. When we show mercies to one another and forgive one another, sometimes we have to bear with one another while we get on the same page. But we forgive each other first because we love each other and love covers a multitude of all sins. Do you know how many church splits would be avoided? If people would only be willing to practice these words and just show some love to one another. Just, just love one another. Forgive one another. Because, you know, if you refuse to forgive someone, we could get off in the theology of forgiveness, but for the sake of time, we won't. But let me just say quickly. When you take this stance that you just can or won't, and it's won't, not can't, by the way, that you just won't, Forgive somebody you don't want to, whatever the reason is, you, you don't think you need to, they don't deserve it, whatever it is. You're putting a limit on the grace of Jesus. You're putting a limit on the grace of Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but there's, there's not any time in my life where I ever raise my hand and say, I want to cheapen the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't want to do that. I want to exemplify. I want to exaggerate. I want to exonerate anybody that that, that wants to be exonerated. I want to show forgiveness to anyone who's done me wrong. I want to show forgiveness to people that ain't even done me wrong yet that I just think they've done me wrong. Why? Because I love you. When I became your pastor... I inherently agreed to do a couple of things. One of those is to preach the word of God to you faithfully and as dutifully as possible. Another of those is to lead you to the best of my ability as God leads me. And another is that inherently I agreed that I was going to love you. None of you, when you interviewed me, asked me that. But it just comes, I can't be your leader and your pastor if I don't love you. I love you. And that means that sometimes i got to forgive you for saying and doing things that you shouldn't do. Sometimes to me, sometimes to my family. But I have to believe the best in you. I have to love you enough to say, I don't think that they meant any ill will. I don't think they're out to get me. I think they made a mistake and I forgive them. That means, guess what? When you agreed to come to this church with me as your pastor, you agreed to love me. And my family. And that means that you agreed that sometimes I'm going to let you down. But you're going to love me and forgive me anyway. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. We are sinful people. The only person in this room that has a free pass on love because it covers a multitude of sins is the Holy Spirit that dwells among us. And He loves perfectly already. So the rest of us, we are called blood-bought believers to love one another. Finally, there's a date to be remembered, a desire to be recognized. There's a direction of our response. As every man has received the gift, in, in other words, if you're saved, that's what the gift is that's being referred to there, is if you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, it is your responsibility to do whatever you can to see others receive the grace that you have received. You are to be a good steward of the grace you receive. Somebody tell me in Scripture where biblically God talks about being a good steward and says, go stick it in your back pocket and hang on to it and don't let it grow and don't share it with anybody. 
Nowhere in Scripture does God refer to being a good steward as putting what you've got in your pocket and hiding it. So when he says be a good steward of the grace of Jesus Christ, what he's talking about doing right there is taking it, praying over it, using it, and multiplying it. Taking the grace that has been given to you, showing it to other people, sharing it with other people, evangelizing other people, telling them about Jesus. Verse 11 says that the reason we do anything is to glorify God, but the idea is that we respond by serving one another. So it looks kind of like this. These are the last days. We need to be praying with a clear mind. We need to be loving one another. And we need to be serving so that Jesus gets glorified. How is Christ glorified? Look at it. The other way. How's Christ glorified in the last days? When we serve him by loving one another after we pray. You know the greatest way to see churches explode in this new age of technology, in this new age of millennials? Right? Things are way different now, Brother Jason. Everybody lives on their iPod or their iPad or their smartphone. Things are different, Brother Jason. You got to engage in a different way than you used to. You know what is still the best way to see a church explode? The same way that you see a business grow in today's time. The same way that businesses grew in 1919. I wasn't alive in 1919. Brother Charles, maybe you can tell me. But businesses grew then the same way that they grow now best by what word of mouth advertising. I've never talked to a business owner that didn't tell me that his best advertising dollars were his customers. His customers simply saying, he did a good job. Use him, he did a good job. You know the best way to see a church grow? It's when you go tell everybody you come in contact with, hey, come to Rocky Valley. We make a big deal out of Jesus. I promise you this, we could could invest $10,000 in billboards and signs and everything else. And somebody may come. They may. But think about how often you've invited somebody to church that they came. It happens a lot, doesn't it? So why don't we anymore do this? Because this, this this was the way churches grew back in the day, right? Come to church with me Sunday. Preacher's pretty. Whatever. Leah, I think so. Come to church with me Sunday. He preaches the Word of God. Come to church with me Sunday. Our Sunday school class is it's getting going. It's really, it's, it's, we're having a good time. Come to church with me. Whatever reason you put in there for why you come to church. And can I just tell you something else real quick? And, and I'm probably not being preachery when I say this. I know, it's a good word. Jackson County, they use that in high school. Preachery. If you can't tell somebody, come to church with me. Because we make a big deal out of Jesus. If you can't tell them that, if you don't believe that, you probably don't need to be there anymore. If you feel that way here, I challenge you to come to my office this week. Because I would like to know where our disconnect is, where we're missing. You should be so proud of your church that you can't wait to invite somebody to church. 
You want to know when lost people will get saved like never before? It's when you pray for them and invite them. Reach out to them. Guess what you're going to have to do in order to reach out to them though? You're going to have to go hang out with them first and talk to them. And tell them, hey, come to church with me. Go and tell somebody about your experience. Tell them you'd love to see them here next week. And serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Love him and serve him. Because if you love him, you'll serve him. Brother Jason, I can't sing. I know, I sit in front of you. (laughs) Brother Jason, I can't teach, I can't preach. I'm not eloquent with words. Can I just tell you something else? God never called someone that was equipped. He equipped those that he called. That was his method for growing it. He, he called fishermen to be his disciples. Fishermen. And when he called them, he didn't even tell them to bring their nets. He didn't use them to catch fish. The only thing he did with the disciples that had anything to do with fish, he just multiplied fish. They didn't even have to go catch them. But you were called to ministry when you got saved. Every one of us. If you've been bought by Jesus Christ's blood and righteousness, you are called into the ministry. So I don't know where to serve, Brother Jason. I don't know how to serve. Good, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Part of what I do is helping people figure out where to serve Jesus. There's somewhere for you to serve. There are ways to serve in any church. But what if you never have been saved before as we close? I've never been saved, never been baptized, I've never been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never done that. Let me ask you this question. If you knew that you were living in the days when Jesus was about to come back, would you put it off another week? Would you put it off another moment? If you knew that everything in Scripture had been fulfilled, that Jesus could turn at any moment, would you give your life to Jesus today? If you knew that Jesus could return at any moment, would you give up that class you're thinking about giving up teaching? If you knew that Jesus could come back at any moment, would you quit singing in the choir? If you knew that Jesus could come back any moment, would you quit serving him today? Would you give up serving him today if you knew that he could come back at any moment? That's the question we got to ask ourselves in the end of days. Because to love God is to serve God. And to serve God is to bring him glory. And we were created to bring him glory. So this this morning, three things. I want us to remember as we go to our invitation. Fixing to go to a time of response to the word of God and this service will be over. One, I want you to remember Jesus is coming soon. We're in the end of days. He could come back at any moment. Are you saved? Have you publicly confessed Jesus as your Lord? Have you followed him in baptism? Do you know him this morning? Do you know him this morning? Two, We are called to lay aside the things that that stop us from clearly praying to God. Would you lay them aside this morning? Would you come to this altar in the time of response and say, God, I've been too busy, I've been too this, I've been too successful, I've been not successful enough, I've been chasing my kids, I've been chasing my dreams. Your dreams are great, your success is great, but not 
at the sacrifice of following God. So would you lay aside anything that keeps you from following God clearly? And finally this morning, Jesus is coming soon. There's a date to remember. Would you forgive somebody this morning? Would you forgive someone this morning? Maybe they're here at this church. Maybe they're in your family. You can't get to them until you leave here. But would you forgive someone this morning? Would you want to be the one living in the last days, hindering the Spirit's movement in a church because you refuse to go to your brother and sister this morning and forgive them and apologize to them? So this morning as we close in prayer, I want you to remember those three things. Are you saved? Will you forgive someone? And will you lay your burdens aside? Let us pray. Father God, Lord, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all you've done for us, Lord Jesus. And so, God, we come to you recognizing that one of these days soon, Gabriel's going to sound that horn. And the time of the end of days will be at hand. So Jesus, we pray this morning in this church that if someone needs reconciliation, you would give them the courage to go and not wait another moment to be reconciled to their brother and sister. That we might live in community, living with one another because we're willing to forgive and love and cover our sins with our forgiveness and love. God, would you burden our hearts to lay the things at your feet that stop us from clearly and soberly praying to you for guidance. And God, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, would you convict their soul to the point that they come and cry out to Jesus because who knows how many more chances that we'll have. And it's in your precious heavenly name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.